name is Paul, and I'm the pastor. Glad to have you here with us this morning. This morning, we're going to look at an ordinary, common, normal guy. We're going to look at a guy who's ordinary, normal, and common. He's, he's just one of the midst of seven in his family. Nothing spe special about him. Nothing extraordinary. He doesn't have great athletic ability to our knowledge. He's not this intellectual giant to our knowledge. He's just one of seven. Need to admit to you, right off the bat, that as we studied this man, he's had an emotional impact on me. A week ago, I was just listening to the book of Genesis. I was listening to chapters 40 through the end 44, 45. It took me two laps around the park. It took me over a half an hour just listening to these chapters. And as I listened to the chapters, I really began to weep. Because in this story, I see the story of redemption. I see the story of God using an ordinary guy, a normal guy, a common guy. He's just a working guy. And I see God using him for an uncommon purpose, an extraordinary purpose, an abnormal purpose. And so this morning, we're going to look at the story of Judah. This morning, we're going we're gonna to look and, and see this ordinary, normal, and uncommon guy. We're going to see him do some extraordinary things for the cause of the Lord, and not even know it. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42. And as you turn to chapter 42, let me, let me give you some background. See, see Judah is born in, in a normal family with dysfunction. His mom is Leah. He, he's number four on the list. He's not the firstborn. The firstborn of, of Jacob gets half of everything in that culture. The firstborn gets half of everything, and the spoils go to the rest of the kids. So he's not the firstborn in the family. That goes to Reuben. And his mom isn't particularly loved. In fact, Grandpa Laban tricked Daddy into marrying Leah. And, and on the wedding night, it was Leah in the bedroom instead of Rachel, and, and that broke Daddy's heart. And, and a week later, Laban gives Rachel to Jacob as well. And then they have kids, and, and not only do they have kids, but Rachel ultimately has two kids. She has Joseph, and she has Benjamin. Leah has seven total kids, one girl, which will come up in a second, but, but Leah, Leah, in this competition of who has the bigger and best family, who's going to be most loved by Jacob, Leah gives, gives Jacob Leah's servant to be his concubine, his wife, and, and they have kids there. And, and Rachel does the same thing with her servant, and they have kids there. And, and so there are 13 kids in this clan. And to our knowledge, Judah doesn't have anything extraordinary about him. He doesn't have this great athletic ability, more like probably a Reuben and a Simeon. They have... They have, they have warrior skills in them. He doesn't have the great intellectual ability. We, and Joseph has this great intellectual ability. He's just an ordinary guy from an ordinary family. He's just one of many trying to stand out. I wonder if you can relate to that. I wonder if you feel ordinary, if you feel common, if you feel normal. And you feel, how could God ever use a person like me to do something uncommon, extraordinary, and abnormal? 
And sometimes, sometimes in order to do that, all you've got to do is stand up. Stand up and stand for something. Let's turn with me in the Bible to Genesis chapter 42. And as we do that, let me, let me, build, some, let me build some steam to get there. Judah and his clan had to move away from Grandpa Laban. And as they moved away from Grandpa Laban, they, they did so in the rush of night. And then, then the other complexing factor is they had to meet Uncle Esau. Uncle Esau was a warrior, and he came with a couple of hundred men to meet Jacob. And they thought there'd be a battle, and there was no battle. But then they go to a little village, and they, they live outside of this community, and, and one of the boys from the village happens to be the prince, falls in love with the only girl of Jacob's family, and he rapes her. Judah's sister got raped. And so Judah's brothers, Judah's brothers take revenge on the town. They kill every man in the community because of them. Jacob says, we've got to move out here. We're a stench. And so they go, and they live in Bethel. And as they go to Bethel, they, they have a revival. Jacob says, Jacob, the dad says, we've got, to, we've got to clear away all these idols. We've got, to, we've got to straighten our life out. And they do just that. They straighten their life out. Well, the boys continue to grow up. They get older and older. And, and pretty soon, there's one boy that, that stands up. Joseph stands up. He stands up. He, he turns out to be kind of daddy's favorite. And, and daddy proclaims his favorite because he makes him a coat of many colors. And after he makes a coat, boy, Joseph really displays his his arrogance, and, and he tells them the guys when they're going wrong, he reports all the stuff that the boys are doing, and he gets a reputation, and then he has a couple of dreams. And the dreams that Joseph had put him over the top of all of the other men in the family, and the men don't like it. Men call him a dreamer. They call him a fantasy man. They call him a, a guy living out in fantasy land. Well, turns out, his fantasy will be true. That's a long road for Joseph, and, and we've, took that, we've taken that journey already. So, so one day, one day the, all the men are out there. They're shepherding sheep. They're, they're out in a long way away, and Daddy says, Joseph, Joseph, you go, go check on the guys for me. In other words, in other words I want to report. I, I need to know what they're doing. And the person he could trust would be Joseph. Joseph the intellectual. Joseph the smart guy. And Joseph goes wearing his bright-colored working outfit, his coat of many colors. And Joseph is spotted by, by one of the brothers. Hey, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. And all of a sudden, the peer pressure comes on. Comes on to, to kill Joseph, their own brother. They, they, they want to kill their, their own brother. And Judah gives in to the peer pressure. And Judah says, you know, let's not kill Joseph. Let's, let's first put him in this well and let's sell him. There's, there's some traders, Ishmaelite traders way over there. Let's, let's sell let's, let's sell him for every, this way. We all get something for him. We all gain from this. And that's what they do. They sell Joseph. Well, Judah is hurt by the peer pressure that he gives in. And we don't know what happened, but Judah takes that moment and he moves away. He moves away from the family and he goes and he settles down. He gets married. He has three boys, old enough to get married, and one of his boys is so, and, and the oldest boy gets married, but he's such a rotten scoundrel that God takes his life. And in that tradition, the daughter would, would the, the 
the wife of the boy, the wife of that man, would then become, would have a relationship with the next brother to continue the line of the older son. And, and the second son dies. And then Judah makes a promise to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, that, that the third son will be married to her as well, so that the line of the, the boys can continue. But Judah has no intentions of doing that. See, Judah wants to deceive. Judah, Judah wants Tamar to be out of the picture, and he does. Judah's wife dies as well. This is a story of redemption, and this is where it's going to get to the bottom. Where it's just going to get to the bottom of the bottom. Judah finds himself wanting companionship. Judah finds himself lonely. So he goes into town, and there's a shrine prostitute outside. And he goes and he has sex with this shrine prostitute. And he, and he leaves because he didn't come prepared. He leaves a couple of his personal items there. And he doesn't know it, but he's has sexual intercourse with his daughter-in-law. Same daughter that he wanted to deceive. Lowest of lows. Judah hears that Tamar, his daughter-in-law, is pregnant. He knows that she's not married. He knows that he's supposed to be getting his oldest, his youngest son prepared to marry her, but he has no intentions of doing it. He's thinking of stoning Tamar. That would get rid of his problem really quick like. Get her out of the picture. Well, she produces the evidence that it was him. And Judah bravely says that she is more righteous than I. She becomes pregnant. She has children from him. Judah then returns home. Come and live with daddy. He wants to come and live with daddy. See, he's humiliated because of something that he's done. Can we relate to Judah yet? Judah is a deceiver. We can relate. Judah, Judah has no intentions of doing what he says. Can we relate? Judah is just one of many in the family. Can we relate? Judah is just, just a byproduct of, of a relationship. He, he doesn't have any good relationship with his dad. But he's going to be an influence. Oh, when he returns home to daddy live with daddy. Things are difficult. Things are difficult because there's been some great years. Finances have been going great. The sheep have been doing well. Man, the land has produced significant bounty. It's been a good year, but they've been spending everything they get. They've been spending everything that they have. Money comes in and money goes out. Can you relate? There's no savings. There's no rainy day fund. There's no, there's no putting off retirement. Life is good. Crops are healthy. Things are going fantastic. The sheep, the sheep are fat. And then a turn of events happens. It doesn't rain. The crops start up and then they wither and then they die. The sheep go from being fat and fluffy to skinny and emancipated. I'm sorry, not emancipated. Initiated, they get skinny. Things are getting bad. Well, they hear that there's grain in Egypt. They hear that Egypt has stockpiled a lot of grain, and now they opened up the cupboard doors, and, and there's not a lot in there. They've got a lot of mouths to feed. They've got a lot of 
families and kids and grandkids to feed, and they open up the cupboards, and they open up the sacks, and there's no food, there's nothing. They know that they're not going to get through the summer. They know they're not going to make it till the next harvest for sure. And so, the, so, so Dad, Jacob, sends the boys, sends the men off to Egypt to go get some grain. It should be an ordinary plan. It should be a common plan. Take some silver and go to Egypt and go get some grain. That's what it should be, a simple plan. Go from here to Egypt. The only difficulty between, between Bethel and Egypt is it's hot in Egypt. It's just hot. The pyramids are there. The sun reflects off the pyramids. Give you a sunburn. Well, when they go to Egypt, they come to buy some grain. The governor of Egypt gives them a hard time. Governor of Egypt, Egypt, what he does, he calls them spies. He says, you're here to spy out the land. We learned last week that that's what they would do. It would be a common thing to do. Very common to, for people to come and spy out the land so, so that you could come and you could take over the country and you could have their crops. You could have their bounty. And so the governor of Egypt, who by the way, happened to be the brother of Joseph, and they didn't recognize him. The governor of Egypt is the brother of Joseph. And Joseph queries him. Joseph asks him. He asks him questions, a set of questions. Hey, hey, is your brother Benjamin still alive? Is your daddy still alive? Tell me, tell me more. And so because the governor of Egypt, as they see it, thought they were spies, the governor said, I want to test your truth, your honesty, because uh, I don't trust you. He puts them in jail for three days. And after the third day, they get out of jail. And after that, they say, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep one of you as hostage. That's a negotiation tool. And they pull Simeon out of the ranks and put Simeon in prison. And he says, you can go. Go home, but in order to get more grain, you got to bring back your brother, Benjamin. you got to bring back your younger brother. And he tells the steward, he tells his steward, hey, hey, put their silver back in the bag. And when they go home, they open up their bags, they see all of their silver in the bags too. They get all this grain and they get all the silver and, and they're heart pressed, they're broken. The governor was mean, the governor was rude to them. They tell the daddy the story. And now we're going to pick it up. We're going to pick it up at the end of chapter 42. Reuben, the firstborn, Reuben, the one who should be leading the charge, Reuben says this. He says, you know what? we got to take Benjamin with us, and, and, and you could put both my sons to death if I don't bring Benjamin back with you. Reuben offers his two sons for Benjamin. He offers, he offers granddad to take his two grandchildren. You can kill my two grandchildren if your son doesn't come back to me. No, the son is, 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 that's it. Rachel, the woman that he loved, the woman that, that, he, that, that he passionately loved, that he worked seven years as if it's a day, the woman, she had two children, she died giving birth to Ben. She had Joseph, who, who in Jacob's eyes is dead, and, and now she has Ben, and that's it. That's the end of his life. And Reuben says, oh, you can take my two sons if I don't bring your son back. Jacob had once nothing to do with it. Jacob says, my son will not go down there. His brother is dead, and he's the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey that you are taking, you'll bring my gray herd down to the grave in sorrow. So they continue to eat, and they don't go to Egypt. And the famine continues. 
and the bag just get thinner and thinner and thinner. You've got a lot of mouths to feed. Comes time to do it again. Comes time to go back to Egypt. Pick it up from chapter 43. Now the famine was severe in the land. Second year into it. We know from previous chapters that it's going to be seven years of famine. The land's not going to produce hardly anything. You're here too. And so when they had eaten all of the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy some more food. What does the text say next? The text doesn't say, and Reuben said, oh, well, let's do this. No, the text says, and Judah said to him, the man, the governor, the leader, who's second in line to Pharaoh, that man, he warned us solemnly. He said, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. We can't go back unless Benjamin is with us. If you send Benjamin with us, we'll go. And we'll buy some food. But if you don't send him, we can't go. Because the man said, You will not see my face again until or unless your brother is with you. It's up to you, Dad. Dad, it's yours. It's yours. And we can go if you let Ben go. We, we, we won't go unless you don't. Ben can't go. We don't go. So Judah responds in a selfish, self-centered way. Judah says, Judah says, why did you bring this trouble on me? By telling the man you had a brother. And the other guys say, hey, hey, the man questioned us. We didn't know. We didn't know. How would we? Hey, is this all of your clan? Hey, no, nope, we got another brother. He stayed with dad. What do we know? We don't know anything. He simply asked us questions and we simply answered them. And then Judas says again in verse 8, Send the boy along with me. Watch this. See, Judah, at this moment, moves from being an ordinary, common, normal brother to stepping up and, and doing something extraordinary, doing something uncommon for his brother, doing something, something great for his brother. Judah says, I'll put my life online for him. He says, send the boy along with me, and we'll go at once, so that you and your children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold on me. You can hold Dad. You can hold me personally responsible for the life of Ben. How uncommon is that for his brother, the brother in, into whom he should be jealous of, because that's the only brother left of Rachel. That's the that's the, the son of. Of the woman that he truly loves, the woman who died giving birth to him, the, the most precious thing in Judah's life, I mean, in Jacob's life. And Judah says, I'll take care of him. Not, not you can have a couple of my sons and replace them him. I will take care of him, my life for his life. If I do not bring him back, look what he says. If I don't bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame. I will bear the blame. And by the way, Dad, we could have come and gone back twice. I love that verse. And by the way, Dad, that you're dilly-dallying, you're, you're, you're indecisiveness, you're unwilling to face the facts, you're unwilling to look at reality in the face and, and say, we've got to do it. Benjamin has to go. We could have gone and come back twice. 
I'm hungry. You're hungry. Our kids are hungry. What are you going to do, Dad? You don't have a choice. See, with Judah, responsibility takes risk. With Judah, if you, if you want to become uncommon, if you want to become extraordinary, if you want to be abnormal, you've got to take a risk. You've got to stand up and say, I'll do it. You've got to be willing to, to, to take the risk to, to do something uncommon, abnormal, and extraordinary for an ordinary guy, for a normal person, for an average person. Church of Jesus Christ. We've got an uncommon, extraordinary, extraordinary God who has empowered us with his spirit to do uncommon, extraordinary, and great things for his name. Church, watch this. The passage continues. It says, then the father Israel said, he said, okay, you can go. He said, Israel said, yes, you can go. Okay, but, but take some gifts, man. Don't, don't just go there with some silver. Take, take the silver that you first paid and, and you brought back. Take some extra silver to actually buy the second round of grain. And take some gifts for the governor. Take some honey. Take some dates. Take some things to show the governor that we really appreciate his kindness. Let's, let's do it right. And by the way, take Ben. And Jacob. And Jacob uses the term, may God Almighty. The same term that he used earlier when, when describing God. Years ago in his past, may God Almighty, the God that he met in the dream, may God Almighty, the God who protected him, who watched over him, who gave him a promise that he would be, that his children would be leaders of generations, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back to you. Instead of blaming it on them, instead of telling Reuben, you're going to send me to the grave. Jacob owns it and he says, if, I, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Well, they make it way back to Egypt. They go back to Egypt. And when they meet the governor, and the governor meets Benjamin, his brother, for the first time. Joseph sees his brother. His biological brother, Joseph, sees his brother, and he sets up a meal for them, and he lines them all up at the table, and he gets, starts with Reuben, goes all the way down to Ben, and Ben, he gives five times as much food, and the guy's going, how did this guy put these things in order? That's fascinating. And then he sends them back. Their baskets are filled with so much grain, and they set the trap. And little Benjamin's cup. See, I don't know if Joseph wants Ben to to hang out with the crooks, people who sold him anymore, because because all the rest of the boys sold him. They, they, they mocked him. They ridiculed him. Ben had nothing to do with that. And I don't know if Joseph is manipulating so that Ben stays there and the rest of the guys go home. I have no idea. But they proceeded back, and when they left Egypt a day later, the steward the governor is Joseph, Joseph's man in charge, accuses them of stealing, and, and they say, we haven't stolen anything. And so they start to search the bags, beginning 
with the oldest and moving all the way down to Benjamin's, and they find Joseph's silver cup that was planted there by the steward in Benjamin's bag. And at this, they wrench their clothes. They look thin. The thief, that crook, that the crooked kid, he should have never have come. They say some things to probably they shouldn't, and then they go back to Egypt. And Joseph was in the house when his brothers came in. They threw themselves on the ground in front of him. And Joseph says to him, What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can figure this out from divination? And Judah says, well, What can we say, sir? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now, my Lord's slaves, all of ourselves. All of us are slaves of you. And Joseph says, no, 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 no. Joseph says, you all don't need to be my slaves. You're free to go. I'm keeping him. I'm keeping Ben. And now Judah is going to do something extraordinary. Now Judah is going to do something uncommon. Now Judah is going to do something abnormal. Not Reuben, not Simeon, not Levi, not the other brothers. Judah is going to stand up and he's going to do something noble on behalf of his brother. He's going to make a defense for his brothers. He's going to say, no, this can't be. I'm going to give myself in place of his life, my life for his life. My service for his service. My knowledge for his knowledge. He was wrong, and I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I am going to give my life for his life. I'm going to sacrifice myself for him. I'm going to give up all my comforts at home. You can't have him. You get me. I know, I know that you can do whatever you want. But for the sake of our dad, and for the sake of his kid, see, I, I guarantee, you can see the weeping, you can see the gnashing, I guarantee, I guarantee his safety. If you keep him, dad's going to die. Judah's displaying this great love for his brother. A great love, a great passion for the guilty. Please let your servant remain here as your slave. And please let the boy return back. middle of seven. The normal kid, the one without the one without the strength of the fight, the one without one without the great intellect, the normal kid, the, the one who cheated, the one who lied, the one who manipulated. That guy. The one who's not blaming his past for his present. He owns it and he says, he says, no. My life for his life. No. not right. 
story continues on the next week, but I'm going to bring it home for us this morning. The relationship between Judah and Tamar produced a couple of kids. And through their seed, and through their seed, and through their seed, and through their seed, great-great-great-grandchildren are born. And the lion of the tribe of Judah was born. And we celebrate his birthday. And we call it Christmas. The descendant of Jacob followed in the footsteps of his great-great-great-granddaddy. And he said, no, this isn't right. My life, but their life. My life, but their life. Jesus willingly gave up his life. Born of a virgin. Born of a man. As man. Fully God and yet fully man. Said my life for their life. This is not right. I long to have a relationship with them. I long to be in relationship with them. I long to be with them. And the only way I can have a relationship with them is if I give my life for their life. My sacrifice for their sacrifice. Jesus says, take me. Release them. Looking through the portal of time, Jesus says, take me. Nail me to the cross. Release those in church this morning. Release them from their slave to sin. Release them from the prison. Release them from, from, from the bondage that they have to sin and to death and free them towards eternal life. Jesus says, not their life, but my life. Jesus says, my perfect life with their broken. Judah said, my broken life for his potential life. Jesus said, my perfect life for their broken life. Oh, the picture of grace that, that amplifies the, the gift of Judah. Judah that becomes, becomes extraordinary what God did for us. Turn to the other gods if you want. We find an extraordinary, uncommon, and abnormal relationship there. Or do you find a God that says, work for me, work for me, work for me, slave for me, and do what is right at the end of your life. I'm going to weigh your good, your bad, your moral, your immoral. I'm going to hold your sins against you. And Jesus says, no. Hold their sins against me. Let them free. So how do you become uncommon, extraordinary, and abnormal, as our Savior does, first thing you do is you submit yourself to Jesus. First thing you do is you submit yourself to Jesus. You take, you take and you carry the instrument of death. You take the cross and, and you put yourself and you say, I'm going to carry this cross. You're going to carry the instrument of death as a reminder of the fact that he paid your price. Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross 
and follow me. In other words, you have to die to yourself. You have to die to, die to those things that you want to do that, that are all central-focused and not Christ-focused. You need to become crucified with Christ. The Apostle Paul writes this in the book of Galatians to this church that is struggling with, struggling. this church is struggling with, with obeying the law. This church is struggling with, with counting all of the deeds I do and then adding Jesus to it. This church is struggling with that. And Paul says to this church, he goes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The uncommon person says it's not about my life, my desires, or my comfort. The common person says, what's in it for me? The uncommon person, the un you want to be uncommon? The uncommon person says, it's not about my life, my desires, my comfort any longer. This is not about me any longer. And the com common person says, what about me? This week, this week, are you going to be uncommon? You're going to be common. The extraordinary person says, how can I want another somebody this week? How can I want another? The, 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 the ordinary person says, my needs first. How can, I, how can I want another person? I want another. Give me an example of this. You need to be at peace with one another. The common person says, I'm going to have strife with each other. The uncommon person says, the uncommon thing is to love one another. The common person is to love somebody if you can get something. The uncommon person lives in harmony with other people. The uncommon, the common person, I mean, lives in strife with one another. The uncommon person serves one another. The common person demands to be served. The uncommon person carries other people's burdens. The common person wants other people to carry their burdens. They want other people to carry their burden. I've got this burden here. I've got this burden that's bugging me. And, and, and here, have my burden. The uncommon person says, I'll take that burden. I'm going to give it to God. Carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The uncommon person is kind and compassionate towards each other. The uncommon person forgives the common person holds grudges. The common person is mean. And the common person is rude towards others. They don't have a heart towards others. This week, what are you going to do? This week, you're going to be common or uncommon. You're going to be normal or abnormal. The abnormal person says, Who do I need to love? And the normal person says, who will love me today? The abnormal person says, who can I love? And the normal person says, who's going to love me today? 
Oh, I didn't get any love today. I didn't get any love. And, and no one loved me today. Oh, the normal person weeps and wells and sees psychiatrists and counselors and stuff because they're not feeling loved. The extraordinary person, the uncommon person, the abnormal person says, I'm loved by God. He has filled me with so much love that I can love others even if I am not loved. They give first because they know that their reward is not on this earth. Their reward is with their Lord who died on their behalf. So church, in the power of Jesus and the spirit of Judah, church, in the power of of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit living inside of you. I pray that this week you would be uncommon in your faith. You would be extraordinary in the practice of your faith. And you would be abnormal to everybody else who thinks that they're normal. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this, this message of Judah and the exemplary attitude he had being a normal guy, he gave up and he, he lost his normalcy to stand up and do what is right. So Lord, I pray for us that we would do the same. We would do what is right. We would do what is noble. We would be known, Lord, as a church filled with extraordinary, uncommon, and abnormal people walking in tremendous faith with you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.